Well, good morning. I want to say uh, just welcome to all of you today, especially if today is uh, maybe your first time joining us here at Adelaide of the Isle, or maybe it's Lent, and maybe a Lenten penance for you, or a Lenten practice is just to kind of get back into the rhythm of going to Mass. I just want to say welcome. Great to have you with us today. And if you have questions, I want to say welcome. I'm not, I'm not quite sure about you, uh, maybe you yourself, or maybe you know people who have questions about either the Catholic Church or even about the Mass itself. You know, we do the same thing every Sunday. We sit, stay, and kneel. Uh, there's not a lot of variety in what happens at Mass other than the words and the homily. It's, it's kind of like the same thing every Sunday, and it's, it's central to uh, the Catholic experience, and lots of people have questions about the Mass itself. And if either that's you or you know people like that, those are good questions. And I think it's important for us to not be afraid of the questions. I don't know about you, maybe some of us here today, maybe you know people who've even left the Catholic Church because they weren't being fed. And, and if that's you or if that's people that maybe are in your family or that you know, I just think the questions that are underneath the searching are good questions. And I think it's important for us to wrestle with the questions. You think about the Mass. I mean, it's, 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 it's kind of at the heart of everything that is Catholic. And you think about it, like, why doesn't the Catholic Church kind of spice things up on Sunday? Right? If, if people are leaving the church because they aren't being fed, why doesn't the Catholic Church kind of change with the times? If, if the landscape in our country or if the, uh, the sensibilities of people that are, that are in our country, if, if all that's changing, why doesn't the church change with the times? I mean, think about it this way. If the Catholic Church, as she says, has been entrusted with the ministry of souls, and those souls are struggling with the changing of the times, doesn't the church have a moral obligation to adapt, to kind of change with the times? That's a good question. And it's important for us, I think, to wrestle with that question. Because the answer to that question can only be one of two things. Right? So why, why doesn't the church change? Why don't we adapt what we do here on Sunday? There's only one of two possible answers. Number one, the church is stubborn. She doesn't want to change. And she's just going to dig in her heels because she's stubborn. Or the church is so convicted that what we do on Sunday is of God that the church will remain faithful to what we've been given and, and watch the consequences of things unfold. Let me say that again. It's important for us to wrestle with the question today. Why don't we just change things on Sunday? Only one of two options. Either one, the church is stubborn, or number two, the church is so convicted that what happens at Mass 
is from him that the church is going to stay faithful and just do the best we can to help people understand what God has asked us to do. Now, I don't believe the first argument is logical. The church is not stubborn. And if you give me five Sundays, either in person or online, five Sundays, I believe that God can open up our hearts as we wrestle with that question. In fact, if you give me five Sundays, I believe God will change the way that you experience Him. Give me five Sundays, I believe that God will change the way that you look at the Catholic Church. Give me five Sundays, I believe God will transform the way that you experience the Mass. And if you give me five Sundays, I am convinced that God will transform the way that you hear the words, Behold the Lamb of God. Now, if God could do that, if God could transform the way you experience Him, if God could transform the way you experience the church, if God could transform your experience of the Mass, and if God could transform the way that you experience the words, Behold the Lamb of God, would that be worth your investment of five Sundays? Give me five Sundays, and I promise you our lives will be different as we enter into Holy Week. Amen? All right, so the questions are good. And I think the healthy option is for us not to be afraid of the questions. And I think the, the beautiful opportunity we have is to reach out to all people who are asking the questions and give them good answers. Amen? I'm excited about a Bible study. We're going to do that today. Go with me to page 9 in the bulletin. We're going to start off together today. Five weeks. We're in a new series now called Behold the Lamb of God. Now, when we get to the fifth week, those words, hmm, it's going to be a lot different in your experience than what you have right now. Page 9 is where we're going to go, and we're going to start off on number 4 on page 9. The first commandment is first for a reason. All of the Ten Commandments have equal, pri uh, have equal weight. Uh, they all have equal importance, but they don't have equal priority. Let me say that again. All of the commandments, the Ten Commandments, have equal weight. They have equal importance, but they don't have equal priority. In other words, God doesn't do anything haphazardly or coincidentally. God is very intentional about everything He does. And the first commandment is, number one, for a reason. And the first commandment is about worship, which is what we do on Sunday. God says, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall worship me and me alone. Notice that the first commandment is all about worship. They all flow from there. And notice that the attack is always on worship. So, for example, in today's gospel, we just heard Jesus tempted in the desert. Today's gospel we, we read from the Gospel of Mark. We get greater details in other Gospels, especially Matthew, which is what we read last year for Lent on this Sunday. Let's look at Matthew. Let's see what happens there. Page 9, number 5. Right? The first temptation, 5.3, is about right the physical comfort. Second temptation is about pride. Look at 5.5. The enemy says to Jesus, All these I shall give to you if you prostrate yourself and worship me. Right? So the third temptation in the Gospel of Matthew is about Jesus being the Savior of the world, but he doesn't have to endure the cross. He doesn't have to endure suffering. But notice that the enemy, when he throws out the first two temptations and that doesn't get Jesus, what's his go-to? What's his last one? This is his blue chip, right? 
He's going to tempt Jesus around worship. It's the first commandment. It's the, the big temptation that is confronting Jesus. It's all about worship. Flip the page over, page 10 now. So is there any evidence in the Bible that worship is really important to God? Right? It's at the heart of what we do on Sunday. Why won't the church change? Is there evidence in the Bible that worship is important to God? All right, let's put things into context here. As we find ourselves together in the book of Exodus now, uh, they have left Egypt, uh, they are in the desert, and God, up to this point in the Bible, has spoken to persons. He spoke to Adam and Eve, he spoke to Noah, he spoke to Abraham, he spoke to Moses, individual persons. What God said to those individual persons was for only individual persons. The first time that God ever spoke to people, not persons, but all the people, was on Mount Sinai, and we're about to read that story. So this is pretty important. The first time that God says, <clears throat> everybody listen up. The first time that God ever does that is about to happen right now. So Moses goes up the mountain, and as you look at number seven, he says, if you obey me completely and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession among all people. So why is God teaching? Because he loves us. God loves you. God loves me. He loves all of us. He says, I'm about to teach you because I want you to be my people. How oh, this beautiful invitation from God for us to be in relationship with him. And God says, if you're going to be my people, I need to teach you two things. I want to teach you how to live. And I want to teach you how to worship. First things out of God's mouth, number eight. God spends four chapters giving them instructions on how to live. Right? So he gives them the Ten Commandments. And then the next three chapters basically go further in unpacking how is it that God wants his people to live. Four chapters, top the mountain, Moses taking notes. God says, this is how I want you to live. Four chapters. Moses comes down the mountain. When he gets down the mountain, number nine, Moses came to the people and related all the words of the Lord, and they all answered with one voice, we will do everything that the Lord has told us. Let's do that with one voice now. You ready? We will do everything that the Lord has told us. Let's say that together one more time. We will do everything that the Lord has told us. Who believes that's going to happen? We're going to do everything God told us? God told them four chapters. That's a lot of stuff. The first thing he said, the first sentence of the first chapter was one commandment. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall worship me and me alone. Let's just see if they can get that right. Because they said, we're going to do everything you tell us, God. So Moses goes back up the mountain. Look what happens now. Number 10. God gives explicit instructions on how he wants to be worshipped. Now, this is pretty important for us because this is at the heart of, I think, those who are searching. I've been there. There were times in my life where I struggled to be fed on Sunday in the Catholic Church. The same thing over and over. And bad music, bad preaching, and the same ritual. And I was searching in my life. And one of the things I struggled with, and I, and I repent for, for, for doing this, and I just want to be honest with you in saying it, I felt at that point in my life that Jesus is my buddy. And we're friends. 
And what I did not know then, what I know now, is I believed we had a horizontal relationship. We're equal. That's my buddy. Now, Jesus is very personal to us. He wants to be relational to us. But I had to come face to face with the fact that we ain't equal. He's God. I'm not. And at the heart of this tension around worship is actually a tension around posture. Every one of us has a vertical relationship with God. It's not horizontal. While he was a man, just like me, while he is my brother as a human being, he is God. I'm not God. And when God says do something, I'm going to do it. So what's happening on the mountain now is God is looking at Moses and saying, Hey, Moses, I'm God. You're not. And I'm going to tell you how I want you to worship me. Look at number 10. Chapter 25. Chapter 26. Chapter 27, 28, 29, 30, 31. Seven chapters. Only took him four chapters to teach him how to live. Takes twice as much time on how to teach us how to worship him. Now, if you've ever tried to read the Bible cover to cover, you start off in Genesis, I bet you you're excited. Some awesome things happen in there. Right? Creation and Noah and Joseph and then you get into Exodus, you got Moses and the plagues. Then you hit Exodus 25 and you hit a screeching halt. It doesn't make sense to a lot of us, right? What's happening in these chapters? Well, God is saying, hey, when you worship me, I want you to take the Ten Commandments, which is where you could touch God's words, and I want you to build me an Ark of the Covenant. And God says, I want it to be made out of precious metal. Not because God likes rich things, because God's trying to say, what's inside this thing is sacred. And in Exodus, in the Old Testament, 4,000 years ago, God said, when you, when you have that thing called the Ark of the Covenant, I want there to be a lamp next to it to remind everybody that you're in holy ground. In the Bible, in the, in the Old Testament, it says, I want you to put two angels on either side of it, so, so you remember that you're in the presence of the heavens. Kind of like what we have here. A lot of what we're going to learn about what we do on Sunday, it's not 2,000 years old, it's 4,000 years old. It goes right to the very beginning of the Bible. Now, when I was a kid, my dad said, go into the trash. And I would empty the trash. God said, um, go clean your room. And I'd go clean my room. My dad didn't give me any instructions. He just said, do it. However, every once in a while, my dad said, Mark, listen to me. I was like, yes. He's like, look, look, look at me. Listen to me. I'm like, yes, sir. Go to the back windowsill. You see those tomato seeds on the back of the windowsill? He says, I want you to take the spray bottle. I want you to spray three times. Not four times, not two times, three times. Mark, are you listening to me? Yes, Daddy. Spray the tomato seeds on the windowsill three times. 
count the number of tomato seeds, take the tomato seeds off of that paper towel, put them on a new paper towel. Mark, are you listening to me? Yes, Daddy. After you do that, bring me back the paper towels and tell me that you did it exactly the way I told you to do it. You, you understand? I'm like, yes, Daddy. Why? Because those tomato seeds, like those tomatoes on the outside of the church, go back to the 1930s. And my grandfather, heirloom tomatoes, passed down generation to generation. Those were important to my dad. So when my dad gave me explicit instructions, it told me, ah, that's important to daddy. When God goes through seven chapters in the book of Exodus with all of these detailed instructions that we think are boring, actually, ah, that shows us that's what's important to God. So God's given them all this instruction about worship. Now, without those kinds of instructions, if you leave it up to humanity, not only do we not know how to worship, but we don't know who to worship. When Moses is on top of the mountain getting seven chapters of instructions from God on how to worship, what do you think's happening at the bottom of the mountain? Page 10. Back to the notes. Number 11. When the people saw that Moses was delayed in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God. Stop right there for a second. Don't you remember when they said, We will do everything that the Lord has commanded us? First chapter. The first commandment. The first sentence. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall worship me and me alone. He's only going for seven chapters, and they're already saying, ah, make us another God. As for that man Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has happened to him. Aaron said, give me all the gold. A couple lines down. Then they cried out, these, as they looked at the golden calf, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you from the land of Egypt. Now, you must... God is listening to Moses on the top of the mountain, and he's also listening to what's happened on the bottom of the mountain, and you can just feel the grief, ache, and anger of God. So when Moses comes down the mountain, after he had just got all this explicit instruction about how to worship, and he sees Israel worshiping a pagan god, number 12, we realize that how we worship is determined by who we worship. Say that with me. How we worship is determined by who we worship. One more time. How we worship is determined by who we worship. So what do we learn today? First week of the series. It's laying a foundation. But without today's message, we can't get the rest of the story. Whether we want hit music or better preaching, those things are awesome and valid. I have heard the voice of people in my life saying, Mark, why don't you spice things up on Sunday? I know that voice. But I also know his voice. And he says, I'm the one who determines how you worship me. And I will always be obedient to this voice rather than that voice. 
I know. I know the questions I have asked. I know the journey that I have been on. And I know that there's a voice out there that says, uh, I wish worship was different. But if I have to listen to this voice or that voice all day long, I pray I can be faithful to this voice. Now, here's where we're going. Next week, when we get back together, if God determines how we worship, the next question is, well, then how are we to worship? We're going to talk about sacrifice. You're never going to look at the word sacrifice in the same way next week. Week after that, we're going to look at the sacrifice of the Old Testament, which is Passover. And in Passover, there was a lamb. Whew, that's going to start to give you all kinds of ways to look at the Mass. The fourth week, we're going to take a look at the Passover meal at the time of Jesus. And then the fifth week, we're going to take all that together, weave it together in a bow, put it together. And when I stand behind the altar from now on, and I say with bread, behold the Lamb of God, you will understand that. You will be in awe of that. And you will never, ever want to worship God in another way. Maybe for the rest of the Mass. I just invite you to look inside your heart. And maybe give God permission in the whispers of your heart for this to be an awesome lit for you. Maybe give God permission to transform your experience of him. And maybe for the rest of the Mass, in silence, we could just ask God to teach us how we are to worship him. Amen.